Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Red Cup Auburn podcast, which... It's no longer the Red Cup Auburn podcast. It will be transitioning to the Auburn Today podcast. I think this episode we can change the profile picture and all that. We'll get into that. I don't know. I've just got my my rhythm of just saying the Red Cup Auburn podcast, but got that brand change coming. But anyway. Do it for so, the brand. Yep, there you go. And so uh, yesterday the Auburn football roster or the depth chart was released. There were some surprises, some non-surprises. They released the offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, we can just go in just a little bit of a deeper dive of those names. Uh, Wheeler, we're going to start with the defense, and let's start with the back half. So let's start with just kind of the safeties and the corners, and then we'll move to linebackers and D-line, et cetera, et cetera. So what was the first kind of surprise that you saw on the defense uh, when you looked at the depth chart for the first time? I think on defense, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was Jalen Simpson not being one of the starting corners. Um, I did not think that Nehemiah Pritchett would be starting over Jalen. That might be in part due to, like we said on on the last ep- – or no, have we had an episode since we went to practice? I don't think we have. We have not. Okay, so it was on the page. Jalen Simpson was not practicing with the DBs. He was off to the side um, with an athletic trainer doing some conditioning work, um, doing a little, little bit of ladder drills. It looked like he might have had a pulled muscle or something because he didn't have any braces on. It was really strange. He was in full pads and a helmet doing all of his work with the trainer. Um, wasn't in a non-contact jersey, but still – uh, was obviously not practicing with the team. So, assuming that he had a pulled muscle of some kind, um, he looked like he was moving okay, um, specifically in his straight line drills. He looked like he was moving pretty quick. Uh, when they did a little bit of backpedaling and some cutting, um, he didn't look quite as efficient. Um, if I had to take a guess, I'd say hamstring problem. Uh, he had troubles with his hamstrings in the past. Um and so that's tough, but that might be the reason that he's not starting, and I could see that being uh, a fluid situation. Um, let me see. There was also – so I think seeing Donovan Kaufman not being a starter was slightly surprising, but I think that was just the way that the – I mean, you're not going to have this defensive set every single time where you have two DNs, a nose tackle – then a defensive tackle, middle linebacker, weak side linebacker, star, two cornerbacks and two safeties. So, I don't know. I don't want to get too caught up in the two deep on defense because I feel like if you're in the two deep on defense, that means you're actually playing 
Um, Smoke Monday obviously was going to be a starter. Um, I think that, though, he'll probably be hopefully more of a first two-down safety. I could potentially see him not being a third-down safety, um, even though he's a leader of the team. Uh, unless his pass coverage has gotten better, I think that there are some better options at safety um, to cover the pass. So I think that was pretty much all. The, oh, Tony Fair coming in from UAB. A um, little bit of a surprise just because, you know, coming in from a different league. But, you know, we don't have that much uh, depth. So, And he's had really good reports coming out of practice. So excited to see him play. Um, happy for J.J. Pegues, uh to be in the two deep moving over to defense. But, yeah. What about you? Did you see anything that really shocked you? Uh, yeah, so for sure, definitely J.J. Piggy's being, even though he was listed as a number two guy, I was encouraged at the fact that he was there, you know? And it was like the guy moved from tight end to, you know, to D-line and is already going to be a part of the rotation. That excited me. Uh, you know, obviously Tyrone Truesdale, if he was still with the team, he would have been uh, starting in one of these defensive tackle roles and maybe he would have pushed out, you know, it, maybe he would have moved Tony Fair or Marcus Harris to that number two spot, and either J.J. Pegues or Marquise Burks would have been, you know, slid out of that two-deep rotation. But regardless, happy that J.J. Pegues is in that lineup. And to build on what you said with uh, Donovan Kaufman, it's almost like if we were if we were to add a position that is very common uh, and especially been very common in the past couple of years, the nickel or the star position, however, however you want to call it, uh, that would be Donovan Kaufman starting there with Ladarius Tennyson right behind him. So I think that's going to be that's going to be kind of the the substitution that you're going to see a little bit more than the Smoke Monday and Donovan Kaufman substitution, in my opinion. Uh, but definitely, you know, with with Nehemiah Pritchett, I think that he's got a lot of potential, and he, you know, he's a really long corner 6'1", 179. I'm really excited. I think that he complements Roger McCreary really well. Uh, and I, I really like Jalen Simpson. I think at times he was the best guy. I think that Roger McCreary was by far the most consistent corner. Uh, but I think when Jalen Simpson was healthy, he was the best corner we had last year as a freshman. So I'm definitely hoping that Simpson can get healthy, get back to the groove he was in uh, last season. The linebackers, I don't think, are a huge surprise. I mean, Owens, Jacoby, and Chandler are the top three. We all knew that. You've got Steiner, Cam Riley, Joko Willis, and uh, Desmond Tisdall kind of rounding out that that group behind them. I think the linebackers are not really a cause for concern. Uh, but I do think it was interesting, you know, just kind of seeing all of the – how the depth chart listed these guys as the second guy, you know. Now, am I but, wrong? Owen Papo is listed at like two thirty, basically on this depth chart. That's a pretty significant weight gain from when he came in. Am I mistaken in saying that? I thought that he was a pretty small dude when he first came to Auburn. Like, I think he was posted in like maybe not all the way down into the ones, but I feel like when he first got on campus, he was down in like the very low two hundreds. Yeah, he was 210 when he came in, and he is listed at 226 now. Okay. And I think that that's an underrated thing that really – I mean, if you're able to add, you know, 16 pounds from your already five-star linebacker frame, that's always a really good thing. And let me tell you, 
that man has very little body fat. I mean, it it's 16 pounds of muscle. Yeah. Very excited about the linebackers, for sure. I think that's – I would say that's probably the strongest position group on the entire team. Yeah, I would say linebackers are DBs, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we can – you know, that's kind of our defensive talk – uh, the offense is going to probably be a topic for a little bit longer. The defense was kind of a spot where we knew where most of the guys were going to start. Uh, obviously starting, and this is kind of building on what we were talking about at practice. Uh, Bo Nix is the starter. TJ Finley's the backup. Bo Nix is, I mean, in that practice last week, it was, I mean, it was apparent that Bo Nix was going to be the starter. There were just many factors contributing to that. But it was obvious that Bo was going to be the starter there. Tank Bigsby starting at running back, no surprise there. Uh, Wheeler, what were your thoughts about the wide receiver slash tight end uh, combinations? You know, tight end, you've got John Samuel Schinkner as the starter with a Luke Deal or Tyler Fromm as the number two tight end. You've got Shedrick Jackson, Javarius Johnson, Demetrius Robinson starting at the wide receiver spot. Uh, Wheeler, what were your thoughts about how the pass catchers uh, panned out? So we had not – I feel like we had not heard a lot about Javaris Johnson um, until Brian Harson had his press conference yesterday. And all of a sudden he comes out and it's like, Javaris Johnson has been the most consistent wide receiver in camp. He comes to work every single day. He knows his routes. He's very consistent catching the ball, all of this, like, super high praise. And it's like – we haven't heard anything about this guy. Like, the co- the coaches have not mentioned Javaris Johnson hardly at all um, publicly. And now they come out and he's a starter, and they say he's one of the most consistent receivers. Um, so that was a little bit just like an interesting nugget that I got from the press conference. I'm excited to see him play um, after kind of the high praise that he received. Uh, Demetrius Robertson uh, – I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that he's starting. Um, the fact that he wasn't going to start at Georgia and he came in and didn't have a spring like all of these other people, missed a couple of days of fall camp and he's still a starter. Um, he looked really solid when we were at practice this weekend. Um, he's definitely quick little guy. Kind of reminds me of Ryan Davis um, a little bit. I don't know if his hands are quite as good as Ryan's. Obviously, I mean, when you're watching practice and they're just running around, so, you know, their hand should be good enough that they're catching it most of the time. Um, so that'll be interesting to see um, kind of where he falls into how he's playing. Um, and Shedrick Jackson uh, is a guy who I feel like has been really good at Auburn at getting open, but probably the reason he hasn't seen the field a whole lot um, is he's had a little bit of difficulty holding onto the ball. So maybe he's gotten over that, you know, having a new coach. Um, he's able to catch that. Um, and then tight ends. Uh, John Samuel, I mean, he's kind of been the starter for the past couple of years. I think he's done a good job. Um, really, I think the reason he hasn't caught many passes was more the scheme that Gus had. He still had his catches um, and has done a good job of, you know, slipping out off the line and getting open. So I don't – if it's not broken, you know, I mean, I think he's been a solid blocker, solid route runner, good hands. I, I can see why he's the starter. Yeah, agreed. I think that Schinkner and uh, Luke Deal are going to be more of the guys that are going to be in on the blocking sets, you know, goal line situations. Those guys are going to be the guys that are going to block. Uh, obviously, they'll go out on some routes, but 
blocking is definitely their forte, whereas Tyler Fromm is much more of a receiver than a blocking tight end. So I think that we'll be able to see him in somewhat of a Sal Canella role, whereas he's listed as a tight end. But at 6'5", 240, he's much more of a receiver build than as opposed to a tight end build. Uh, I do agree with you with the uh, talking about the receivers. I think that the most interesting thing – so if you look at our, the, the H, as it's called, which is the wide – it's usually the slot receiver, one of the smaller guys. That's what Ryan Davis was when he was at Auburn. You've got Javarius Johnson and Tarvarish Dawson Jr., who are essentially the same player. I mean, size-wise, they're both 5'10". I think Dawson is maybe two pounds heavier. I mean – Body-wise, they look the same, both really fast guys. Uh, I think that both of those guys are going to be useful in the fact that it's a really dynamic playmaker. And I think that the reason that Johnson is starting is because his hands are better and he can get open a little bit more consistently than Dawson. But I definitely think there's going to be useful to have two guys with that athleticism to be able to create a bit of a wrinkle in the offense. And then you look at the Z spot, you've got Demetrius Robertson, Kobe Hudson, and Malcolm Johnson Jr. And Malcolm Johnson Jr. is a guy that a lot of people don't know about, but he is the fat. I mean, he's the fastest receiver we have. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, he's not as fast as Anthony Schwartz, but in that Mississippi state game, when Anthony mouthed off to Gus or he said something that made Gus mad and Gus benched him for pretty much the whole second half, Malcolm Johnson came in and did, pretty much the same thing Anthony did. I think he had like one catch, but I mean, people didn't realize that Anthony Schwartz got, got pulled for the entire second half. And I think that speaks a little bit to Schwartz's impact in an Auburn uniform. But anyways, uh, so that was kind of the receivers. The biggest, uh, the biggest surprise that a lot of people were getting, and I got a lot of DMs about this, was Elijah Cannon not being listed in the two deep rotation uh, at any spot at wide receiver you know, we know he's battled some injuries. He's had uh, a little bit of problem in practices. But either, what were your thoughts about uh, Cannon not being in that two deep rotation at the wide receiver spot? Uh, I honestly wasn't that surprised. Um, just listening, I mean, Javaris didn't have a lot of talk, but Elijah really didn't have a lot of talk. Um, he's one of those guys. It reminds me. I know it was the bowl game and not a game, a day. But it just seemed like one of those A-Day hero dudes that just happened to get out on the field because nobody else was playing and had the game of their life. And everybody's like, oh, this guy's amazing. Why hasn't he been playing? And you're like, well, there's probably a reason, like, that he hasn't seen the field until three receivers, you know, quit the team. Um, And it's a bowl game against a big 10 opponent. You know, I mean, and so I think – I, I just don't think that he did anything to really distinguish himself over these other receivers. You know, coming in, these other receivers were rated higher. Um, and even under Gus, you heard about these guys more than you were hearing about Elijah. Um, so not really that big of a surprise that he was not listed on the two deep. I was slightly surprised that Xavion Capers um, was not starting over Shedrick. Um, cause I feel like when he was playing last year, he played really, really well. Um, that might be because of his injury. Um, who knows what it is. Um, he may still get onto the field. I mean, that's a three wide receiver set. I get definitely, uh, I don't know if we'll do a lot of four receiver sets actually, now that I think about it, because we're going to be doing a lot of the tight, having a tight end in the set. So there won't be a lot of four receiver sets. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
But receiver is something that you're going to rotate out because, I mean, if you're just running these routes, I mean, you got to get pulled at some time. So he'll get his playing time. Um, I think it would definitely be interesting to see. Auburn has the potential to throw out some big receivers where they can almost load the defense with big targets um, by putting out, you know, a Tyler Fromm or a Luke Deal, then putting Xavion out there, um, and then putting, you know, Kobe and Malcolm. I know they're only like 6'1", but, I mean, that's two dudes that are 6'5 plus and then two dudes that are almost 6'2". That's going to cause a little bit of issues, I feel like, uh, especially against smaller defenses. Um, I feel like you might be even see that against Akron. You know, these Akron, Alabama State, the, the teams that are not going to have necessarily that length and athleticism on defense. Um, I know you think more in basketball terms on just loading up with size, but I think the principle still holds true um, that you can't give safety help to everybody, and at some point you can just almost throw over some DBs by just doing some bigger lineups. So that's an exciting thing that I think we might see in these first two weeks. Yeah, I definitely agree. And to build on that, especially, you know, in the practice we saw, uh, Shedrick Jackson was the starter, but when they got into the red zone, Xavion kind of came in and looked to be that red zone threat. So I definitely think Xavion will get a lot of his playing time in the red zone. Uh, and I could definitely see, you know, a red zone set with Xavion Capers and Tyler Fromm both being on the field, especially, you know, like you said, in those early games when those DBs aren't going to be that tall. Uh, you're going to have someone who's like 5'10", 5'11", going up against 6'5", 240. I mean, yeah. it doesn't – I mean, that's just that's just common sense. If a guy's got seven inches on you, it's it, it's kind of it's tough to stop him from catching a jump ball. So I definitely think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. It's kind of like when Auburn had Duke Williams and C.J. Uzama at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I know Uzama got a lot of those catches, but the reason Uzama was getting those catches is you have to choose one of the big guys to double team. Mm-hmm. Are you going to choose the tight end or are you going to choose the receiver who has sticky fingers? Yeah. I mean, usually they you want to pick double the one. Team in Duke. Yeah. Usually you want to pick the one that actually catches footballs for a living and not well, the one that has I don't know. things. With Xavion, you may pick the tight end. Uh, but anyway, uh, moving from the receiver talk to offensive line, uh, not too many surprises here. A little bit of a uh, interesting debate on the right guard spot, but left guard or uh, left tackle, you've got Austin Troxel and Killian Zaire. Left guard, it's listed as Brandon Council or Alec Jackson. Uh, if Brandon Council is healthy, he is the best offensive lineman on this line. So I think that the or is simply speaking to his health. Uh, but, yeah, if Brandon Council is 100% healthy, he's going to be starting on this offensive line in some capacity. Uh, Nick Brahms at center with Jaleel Urban right behind him. No surprise there. Nick Brahms is a second-team preseason uh, SEC center. We knew he was going to start. Uh, right guard, you've got Keandre Jones or Tayshawn Manning. Both of them got significant playing time last year. Jones will probably get the start. Manning will get subbed in a lot. Uh, that'll just be a position battle to keep watching throughout the season. And then right tackle, you've got Verdarius Ham and Brendan Coffey. So, Wheeler, what are your thoughts about the offensive line composition? I think it's really good that we at least have a center that has been there, knows kind of what he's doing, um, because there are a lot of question marks on the other part of the offensive line. Um, but I definitely I think Austin Troxel – 
at left tackle. Um, you know, he looked pretty good in the scrimmage that we were watching. The right tackle position and right uh, right guard position were kind of where we were seeing the struggles, in my opinion, on uh, on Saturday when we went to practice. Um, do you agree with that or would you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that kind of the left side, you have your more solid players, and then your right side is a little bit more of the question marks. Um, again, I think in this first game, it's one of those situations where this offensive line doesn't need to gel to do well against Akron. I mean, there might be some busted assignments that, you know, Akron may get through on. But as far as, like, run blocking and stuff, this offensive line should be able to take care of Akron just athletically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, And really, Alabama State, too. I mean, the offensive line should have no problems at all in the first two weeks. But you need that cohesiveness to get started in the first two weeks because if the offensive line isn't on the same page and you're in a hostile environment like Penn State – I mean, we'll, I mean, we saw the offensive line. I mean, they looked like they didn't know – like they looked like a JV team playing college football when we played Georgia last year, and that was at, what, 25% capacity? Yeah. I mean, that was a, absolutely abysmal performance from them. They didn't know what was going on. So I definitely think that it's good to have these first two weeks. Plus, they've all had time to be together. All these guys played last year. They've had time. Hopefully, they can kind of get into – their groove in these first two weeks before heading to Happy Valley. Uh, but so that kind of wraps up the talk about the offense, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, so we can kind of switch to the special teams. Uh, not too many, not too many notes here. I mean, obviously Anders Carlson starting at kicker. We all knew that was going to happen. Uh, Oscar Chapman is listed as the starting punter over Aiden Marshall. Uh, we might see kind of the two punter system like we've been seeing or we might just see Oscar. Who knows? We'll just kind of have to see uh, going into the season. But I definitely think a two-punter system is one of the easier positions to kind of have a two-man system going. Uh, our annual holders and long snapper are people two comments. You've got Jackson McFadden starting at holder, and you've got Jacob Quattlebaum starting for the second straight year at long snapper. So the podcast supports those guys. Hey. Uh, and Hey, Jackson McFadden got a big old fat shout out by uh, Auburn. Have you been watching the little uh, Instagram? It's not Instagram Reels. What what's like the IGTV? IGTV. Have you been watching the All About the Ball mm-hmm, things that the football them, yeah. team's been putting out? Uh, old Jackson got a big shout out from Harson. They said like these are five or these are six different. Uh, plays and it was showing him holding just perfect hold every single time and then it showed him inside of the scrimmage holding it perfect and he was like hey this is what you got to do and Jackson's probably sitting in the back you know flexing on him like let's go you just got to do what I do Tank be consistent every play (laughs) we need to put a poll on the page is Jackson McFadden the best holder to ever come through Auburn University yes or no (laughs) hey he looked really solid and all about the ball See, the thing is, if I was – I feel like Jackson McFadden needs to start posting on his Instagram his highlights for holding. I think, you know, do you remember a couple years ago at the uh, at the college football award show, some holder – I can't remember where he played, but some holder, like, made a, made a highlight video of him holding and said that they needed to make a holder of the year award. I think I, they've kept that. 
I think he started it. They actually have a holder of the year award. I don't know how you win it, but see there you go. Jackson McFadden, holder of the year award watch list. Maybe they'll name the award after him. Maybe they will. But uh, back to the other part of special teams, you've got punt returner. Uh, Javarius Johnson is listed as the number one with Demetrius Robertson at number two. And kicker turner, you've got Donovan Kaufman and Nehemiah Pritchett right beside him. Kicker turner is interesting. Sean Shivers is not listed as one of the top two guys. Wheeler, what are your thoughts about the punt and kicker turn units? Before I give those, it is called the Peter Mortel Holder of the Year Award and has been presented annually since 2015. I'm honestly surprised that Donovan Kaufman is not on the punt return unit after his highlights that I saw from Vandy. Um, he looked like a really solid punt returner. Maybe I'm just not uh, football smart enough to understand why your punt returner and your kickoff returner would be different people, like four different people. Like there, None of the people are punt returners and kickoff returners. Seems like you would probably – like, if you're really good at one, you'd be good at the other. Um, I understand that the ball spins a little bit different, but I, I don't know. That was interesting to me, that we didn't have our kickoff returner and our punt returner be the same guy. I'm trying to think. So, Jalen Waddle obviously, was Alabama's punt and kick returner. Um, I'm trying to th- – who was Auburn's punt returner last year? I can't think of who Auburn's punt returner was. Auburn has not had a real special punt returner since Corey Grant. Or was it Corey? No, it was one that uh, Corey Grant returned kicks. I would say Chris Davis was probably the last punt returner that did. No, 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 no. Who was it? Smoke? Or was it Christian Tut that had the big return against uh, Alabama? That was uh, Christian Tut. Christian Tut. So Christian he came Tut in because was... Ryan Davis got hurt. Okay, so we've had we've had some all right guys. We haven't had a guy that's really have we taken a punt back for a touchdown in like the past fifteen years. I, we did it against Tennessee in twenty thirteen, and I think that was the last time we took a punt all the way. Christian Tut almost did it against uh, Alabama, but he did not do it. Yeah, I was about to say. I feel like you you turn on your CBS game of the week, and you know they always go to some random game that's raining, and there's always a punt return for a touchdown. Actually, I think I think Quan Bray against San Jose State in 2014. I think he returned one all the way, so I think that was the most recent one. So yeah, punt returning has not been memorable for Auburn. Um, who knows? Maybe this is the year. Maybe Donovan will start returning him because I think he actually had a punt return for a touchdown for Vandy last year. I could be completely wrong about that. Um, but, yeah, so we'll see. Also intrigued that Nehemiah Pritchett is the uh, kick returner, and it doesn't – I mean, both of the punt returners are offensive guys and both of the kickoff returners are defensive guys. Um, I don't know. Maybe Harson just has a thing about who plays on different, like, Special teams, like his punt team versus kickoff team on how practice goes. Who knows? Um, I mean, maybe maybe it's just kind of speaking to what you were saying earlier. You know, the age-old line, DBs are just wide receivers that couldn't catch. Maybe that's why the defensive guys are on kick return because they can't catch the punts, but they can catch the kicks. There you go. And if they drop them, it's not that big a deal. Exactly. Just pick it up and keep going. 
Yeah, uh, can we just talk? Did you see the safety that uh, happened in the Nebraska Illinois game? I did. That is that is exact. When you when we talk about punt returners, that's the play you can't make. Mm-mm. That was legitimately the worst punt return I've ever seen in my entire life. For those that didn't see it, the guy has his heels on the tin like he's supposed to. Punt starts going over his head. He backpedals all the way to the goal line. Catches the punt on the goal line. Slips, is about to fall down with his knee, and he throws the ball forward to try and not get a safety. He gets the safety two times. but like He doubled safety because his knee did hit the ground, and it would have been safety because he threw the ball forward in the end zone. Idiot. Absolute idiot. And Scott Frost, poor guy. I can't imagine uh, yeah, he, that, sure and that poor player. He did not see the field again. So that's all we're asking for, Javaris. Do not catch the ball in the end zone and throw it forward. Yeah, and see, that that's that's kind of a thing. You know, like everyone likes to see your kicker, your punt returner do something crazy, score a touchdown, whatever. But honestly, if you never make a mistake, it it's okay. Like, look at Noah Igbenogany. It was, every year he would have one, one return that was really good. But every other time, he would just run in a straight line and get tackled at the, you know, sometimes he'd make it to the 30. That's all good. But he never, he never messed up, never fumbled, you know, all that. So, all in all, he did a really solid job there because it's like if you do better than a touchback and you score once, it's like, well, that's all we can ask for. Good job. So, I definitely think that that is the most important thing. If you can have a guy that's, you know, like the honey badger who can return all kinds of kicks all the way. That's great, too. Uh, Auburn fans may remember Trey Smith from the early 2000s as a punt returner who routinely fumbled the uh, the catch. In fact, I was watching the 2004 uh, Auburn-LSU game last night, and he fumbled a punt in that, too, and it brought me right back to when Trey used to fumble his – I mean, I'm not kidding. I think he probably – he might have the Auburn record for most month punts. <laughs> And Tommy kept him out there, like, week in, week out. I'm not losing faith in you, son. And I'm like, well, my five-year-old self lost faith in the guy because I knew he was going to muff the punt, and I don't know how Tommy didn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just – there are a few – I remember Ryan Davis especially was a guy that always terrified me returning punts because he is one of the only punt returners I've ever seen that did not catch the ball with his body and would use his hands to catch punts. And I think – I mean, he muffed – he muffed – I think he muffed one or two. I mean, for the most part, for catching a punt with your hands every time, he did an okay job. But, yeah, yeah. but he, he scared me a little bit. But kind of looking ahead to our week one matchup against the Akron Zips, um, I mean, I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys. I, I'm not going to research Akron football. These guys are horrible. I mean, last year they won one game. They lost to Western Michigan by 45. They lost to Ohio. Uh, They lost to Kent State by, like, 40. They lost to Miami, Ohio by, like, 31. They beat Bowling Green pretty bad. I mean, that was kind of impressive. Then they turned around and they lost to Buffalo by 50. So, I mean, mean, guys, these these people are terrible. They are not a good football team. They are one of the worst – I mean, th- these guys, I think that if they put – if you put these people in Division Two, I don't think they would compete for the playoffs. I mean, this is a horrible, horrible football program. Uh, 
But Wheeler, what, what what are your thoughts about about the Zips? Do they do they strike fear into your heart going into this Week One matchup? Well, I went on their Facebook the other day just to see if there were any interesting comments uh, of people who are really excited about the game, and uh, their Facebook is not very active. <laughs> we'll just say that not a lot of people comment about the games. Um, no, their fans are not excited. They know that it's going to be bad. And if it's not bad, then we are really, really, really bad, and we're in trouble. This is not like Mercer, who had, like, some talented guys, you know, have a little bit of a dogfight, and you're still a good football team. No, I know you're looking at me like Mercer. There was not an excuse. There was not an excuse for that Mercer game to be as close as it was. Okay, but you didn't watch that I was not sitting there saying there's no way Auburn will be able to compete in the SEC. I was like, these dudes are not good, and Auburn is being lazy today. I'm not convinced that there is any lineup Auburn could put out on the field that could not dominate Akron. I think we could go all walk-ons and dominate Akron. This team is horrendous. If Tommy Neesmith and Jackson McFadden start scoring touchdowns against Akron – we will be very happy people. Yes, but, we will. Uh, yeah, Brian start a quarterback controversy by putting T.J. Finley in after Akron has quit and chunk it fifty yards. This is okay. This is something that I would like to see. Is something that Nick Saban does is when he pulls his starting quarterback, he puts in the backup quarterback. Sometimes they they get in a drive with the starter. Sometimes they're just with the backups, but he still runs the offense. And that's what I like. And that's something that I don't know if Arsenal will do this, but Malzahn never did. When the backup backup QB came in in a Malzahn offense, he just handed the ball off and would do read options. And the only thing we would get to see about guys was their running ability. And I just didn't like it because you couldn't see if they were good or not. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, Malik Willis, when he was at Auburn – he, he couldn't throw the ball. Every time he threw the ball into practice, it, it wasn't good. And, you know, obviously goes to, goes to Liberty, ends up, you know, getting coached by Hugh Freeze and is looking pretty good right now. But when he was here, he, he didn't look good. And when we could see him throwing the ball, it just didn't look good and he didn't have any experience throwing the ball in a game. And Grant Lloyd, I, I don't think Grant Lloyd threw – I mean, Grant Lloyd just ran the ball the whole time. But I think that if you can go up like 28-0 to zero at the end of the first half, Pull Bo, put in TJ, let him get some drives. After he goes off, take out TJ, put in Demetrius, and let these guys get some reps with a real offensive setting and not just something that's, you know, boiled down to just, all right, we're going to run a read option, dive left, dive right, screen pass, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I would would definitely like to see that. Um, This is our last – podcast without a major sport until March or April and we are really excited about that um you know as the football season progresses the podcast will be much more football oriented just kind of we'll be breaking down the past week's game in addition to kind of previewing the next the next uh opponent uh but we can you know, I think we can end the the Akron football talk for this podcast and kind of transition to the basketball arena real quick. You know, Bruce Pearl said earlier in this week 
that he thinks that this team that we have right now could make another Final Four. Uh, and this is something that Bruce doesn't really say. You know, Bruce is a very – just the way he coaches in his interviews, he believes in his players, but he's not super ambitious with quotes like that. I mean, usually he – you know, he'll, he'll say whatever, but usually he doesn't hype a team up in any matchup. And I think that the reason that – or the fact that he is hyping this team up to potentially make a Final Four – is really impressive to me because he never even mentioned a final four on the 2019 team that actually got there and had some preseason predictions to go there. He never even mentioned that. So Wheeler, what do you think Bruce's kind of comments about this team really say about the composition of this team and how they're looking for this coming basketball season? I think it means that all the hype that we have is being backed up by what he's seeing on the practice court, which is, Really good because this would be the first time that Auburn has a really hyped team in a major sport that actually pans out. Um, obviously, you know, anything can happen in March and you could have a fantastic regular season, win an SEC championship regular season or be an SEC runner up, losing the round of 32 um, and still have been a great team. You know, I mean, that final four team almost lost. Uh, if they were playing a team that had a guy that would take the layup for the tie instead of <laughs> chunking up a three from the corner, you never know what happens. Um, so I think it's difficult to say Final Four or bust, which is why he didn't say Final Four or bust, but he definitely is confident that this is a really solid basketball team. Um, and I, I'm starting to kind of get a bad feeling that uh, after the Penn State game, the Auburn family is going to be looking looking towards uh, Walker Kessler and Auburn basketball. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that. I, see, my thing is, you know, I, I've I've documented this. I've said this before. I don't think that this season for football is going to be one of the best we've seen. I think it's going to be very similar to 2018. Um, I personally think that I know that you, you for one, and a lot of other people are a little bit more high on the team than I am. But the thing is, I, I don't think I'm not going to shift my focus to basketball because I'm just so excited for this season, you know, just like COVID just not really being a factor. Alan Green reinforced that today with the new uh, guidelines, no mass, no vaccine requirement, anything like that. So it's going to be a full, it's going to be packed out crowd. You're going to have Tiger Walk, going to have tailgating. That's what I'm the most excited for. It's just kind of having that game day atmosphere back. And it will translate again to basketball, being able to fill up, fill up the jungle and really give some of these guys just a, just a taste of what they signed up for when they came to Auburn to play basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I could see this football season uh, being a 10-win season. I could also see it being a six-win season. Um, that means that the the reality will probably be somewhere in the middle. I think we'll win a game or two we're not supposed to. Um, I don't think we'll lose many games we're not, you know, supposed to win, but I also think that the expectation of games we're supposed to win is pretty low. Um, so hopeful for 10, probably expecting closer to eight or six. Yeah, I mean, so the way I look at it is I think there are five games that are wins in Akron, Alabama State, Georgia State, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. I think those five games are all going to be wins. I don't think there's much doubt in my mind about those games. The kind of toss-ups that are going to be real tough games will be 
the LSU, Penn State, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M games. And I think those are kind of the ones that are, you know, the most iffy. I See, the thing is, I, I like our chances, especially against Ole Miss. I think we match up well against them. I like our chances against Ole Miss. Penn State and LSU, if it was at home, I would like our chances a lot more. But the issue is those are going to be pretty, pretty raucous crowds. So I think that those – that the fate of Auburn season kind of relies on those kind of kind of toss-up games, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, I think that Georgia and Alabama are both toss-up games as well just because they're being played in Auburn. I know that you're not quite as optimistic, but I, I just think when Auburn does not have just a epically bad team – that's fair. We typically are able to keep Georgia and Alabama close at home. Uh, I mean, we talked on the last podcast about the fateful game where Brandon Cox had more receptions to Georgia than to Auburn. Um, but that was, like I said, an epically bad performance. Like, you have not seen Alabama and Georgia just absolutely run Auburn off the field many times uh, in Auburn. Not at home. Yeah, definitely not at home. And I think 2015 is really the best example of that. I mean that Alabama team was so much better than us. That I mean it it was not even not even comparable. That team was a fantastic team, and Auburn just wasn't that year. And that game was that game was close. I mean yeah. at halftime it was close. At the I mean that game was close the whole time. And really, it didn't become like the 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 reality that oh we're gonna lose did not really set in until later in the game when Will Muschamp ended up getting a thirty yard penalty that just just ruined. Yeah just ruined everything. But besides that, it was a competitive game. I do agree with you that playing at home, those games give us much more of an advantage as opposed to playing on the road, especially if those are going to be full games. You know, I, I can respect, I can respect being those games being closed for sure, but uh, we'll just have to see. And, you know, I'm excited to see how, how this team reacts to all the adversity and just all the tests they've got uh, coming up. I agree. But, yeah, so like I said earlier, uh, this is kind of the last preseason-esque podcast we're going to have for a while. Um, it's going to kind of be a little bit more of a routine in the, in the next few weeks, just kind of it's going to be breaking down the game that we just watched. It's going to be previewing opponents. It's going to be talking about injuries. It's going to be – and if anything, you know, if anything really big and noteworthy happens in another Auburn, or Auburn sport, we'll obviously talk about it. But the podcasts are going to be very football-oriented for the next little while. Uh, but, yeah, we're excited. We're filming this on Tuesday night, four days out from kickoff. Most of you will probably hear it uh, either tomorrow or the next day or the next. But very excited, and uh, we'll see you all next week. We're Eagle. We're Eagle.